0: Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 24. 14, I mean. 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Um, If you've got a a tablet or a smartphone and want to pull it up online, we'll be in the ESV version of that. Um, 1 Corinthians 14. Let me pray for us and we're going to jump in. God, thank you for this morning. As we dive into your word, um, help us to leave our our baggage behind with what we might think certain terms mean. Um, Help us to, to define it from your word and God, give us a new understanding of something that could be very beneficial and life-giving for us as a church. God, us ask that you would start a shift in our culture um, from what we see in your word today, um, that we'd be able to live this out as your people. God, us your name we pray. Amen. Well, today uh, we're talking about some controversial gifts. We're talking about speaking in tongues and prophecy. And so when I say those words, chances are you might have some feelings that just kind of boil up in you or some thoughts that, that come with that. When I was um, in seminary, I, I kind of had this view of the spiritual gifts, specifically these, like these known sign gifts, like prophecy, tongues, healing. Those were something of the past. They didn't exist anymore. And I had pretty good theological arguments to prove my point. Um, But for some reason, I I always was curious and a buddy invited me to a charismatic concert and and he told me, man, listen to this CD. He goes, can you hear it? Those are angels coming through the speakers. You know, like that's not the band. That's not voices. You can't even explain it. You just got to come and experience it. And I was thinking, if you're giving angels mics, I'm in. So I show up to this service really not knowing what to expect And it was crazy. I mean, like every song was 11 to 33 minutes long um, with just really long preludes and interludes. And there were people kind of in the aisle that were on the ground, face down. There were people giving holy shouts, holy laughter, prophecy, tongues, people flying flags and just all types of stuff. And, And I felt a little out of my comfort zone. But I was standing next to this guy that was in my safe spot he, he looked like the dad from Orange County Choppers. I mean, biker, big vest, and, and like a huge barrel chest and a handlebar mustache. And, and he was emotionless, like just standing there. And I was like, I'm here. Me and you, we're together. If someone charges me in a holy rage, like we got this. Like I'll, I'm stepping behind you, you do your thing. And, um, and so as we're hanging out and this is going on, um, at one point he reaches into his jacket, he pulls out a crown royal bag. And I'm thinking like, what in the world is about to go down? And, um, and he reaches in it. He does not pull out a bottle of whiskey. He pulls out two white gloves. He puts them on and then I have no idea what's happening. I didn't see this. He reaches under his seat and he grabs a flag, just a singular flag. And he goes over to some open space and like a high school football game halftime show with a flag line, he just, this grown biker man is like, just twirling his flag around. I'm like, what is happening? And so maybe today, as you, as you hear that we're getting ready to talk about this stuff, you might be thinking, is that what Redeemer's about to do? I mean, we had a dude bring his chauffeur horn once and blow it in the middle of service, and that was kind of crazy. It's like, what was that? And, uh, and so maybe you're thinking, is this going to get crazy? If it's going to get crazy, I'm out. And maybe you're thinking, actually, Jeff, I would kind of like us to get crazy, so please go there. Um, what, what we know from these chapters, verses, chapters 11 through 14 in 1 Corinthians, is there actually is a great concern for orderly worship. So we're not going to get crazy. But I do believe that if we would kind of remove our baggage, because when I say prophecy speaking in tongues, chances are you probably are bringing some definitions to the table from your past but if we properly define those things, if we if we use scripture to bring out their meanings, I believe there's something there that if we tap into and start to implement into our worship, we'll become a church that we all long to be a part of. So let's dive in. First Corinthians chapter 14, starting in verse 1. They like said, let's just let's just leave our definitions from the past behind and let's work something new today. All right, verse 14. Or verse 1, chapter 14. Pursue love. Just stop there. Right? What he's doing here is he's bridging us back to chapter 13. So if you're at chapters 11 through 14, one big teaching block all about how we are to behave in gathered worship. Like this morning, right? In chapter 12, he says, Man, the only way that the church is built up, and the church is not a building but a people. The only way that the people of God are built up is by this unique diversity where we we all bring the giftings that we have to the table, we use them together, and the church is built up. God's kingdom is pushed forward, and darkness is pushed back. But this can put into us this kind of savior complex where we think we have to do all the work, it's dependent on us. And before we go there, Paul in chapter 13 reminds us and calls us, no, 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 you do work from a position of love. Like we do these things out of a motivation that's rooted in God's deep love for us. And so we, as a people, need to be characterized and motivated by God's love for us as we love others. And that's the platform we use our gifts. So in chapter 14, verse one, he says, pursue love. He's saying, look, as we get to talk about more spiritual gifts, remember the foundation. This is rooted in knowing God's love for you through Christ. So don't forget that. Pursue love. And he says, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, what's unique about this is that in this church, spiritual gifts are being abused. Like people are wrongly using them. Now, in our culture, when something is misused, when something is abused, when something is taken advantage of, what do we normally do? We normally put a fence around it or remove it and just say that's off limits. But that's not at all what Paul does. He doesn't say, let's take these things and remove them because you guys can't handle them. He says, no, 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 continue to pursue these things. These are essential to the life of the church. So continue to pursue spiritual gifts, but let's make sure we are pursuing them with the right mindset, All right? And then he says, especially that you may prophesy. Verse two, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So here, Paul, Paul tips his hat to um, speaking in tongues as a way of praising God, but he shows a preference to the gift of prophecy because tongues is more so geared towards the individual while prophecy is geared toward the whole church, and so over and over and over again in these chapters from eleven through fourteen, you will see the, the terminology to build up, to build up, to build up. You'll see that in chapter fourteen it says, "Look, the main focus here is that we would be built up." He says, so "It's not when we worship, right? When we come and gather, it's not so much about us as individuals, is it? As us as a collective group." which means like that, that has huge implications. So if you come and you're singing a song, you're like, this just isn't doing it for me. If you're individually focused, you're thinking that's not for me and I'm a little upset. If you're group focused, you're thinking, I bet that was for someone over here and I'm so thankful that they were connected with. Right, if you come and hear a sermon, you're like, I really wasn't tracking. He was referencing things from the 90s that was like, I'm, that's not my time. Or he was referencing things from 2018 and I'm really lost. Like, this wasn't for me. Like, I'm, I'm, like, you would say, man, I'm so glad that it reached someone else because we're in it together. So he shows like, man, there's this focus of us being together, not being individuals when we worship. And for that reason, he says, man, as much as I love prophecies, as much as I w- or speaking in tongues, as much as I wish you guys all could do that, I think prophecy is the most beneficial thing, all right? So, so real quick, let's define those terms, right? Tongues and prophecy, what in the world does that mean, okay? If you back up to verse two, we get a definition for tongues. He says, utters mysteries in the spirit, all right? So, so what is speaking in tongues? It's, it's uttering a mystery in the Holy Spirit. right, now, when we see the word tongues used in the New Testament, there are three different ways we see it used, okay? So if you were to read Acts chapter 2, and so if you read like the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Luke was written by a guy named Luke and um, and that's like part one. And then we get to Acts and Acts is also written by Luke. It's just a continuation of that gospel. Okay. And so what happens at the end of Luke is Jesus, after he raises from the dead um, and he's getting ready to ascend to heaven, he tells the disciples to hang out and wait and that he's going to send the Holy Spirit, right? Acts two happens and we see that coming of the Holy Spirit and the apostles begin to speak in tongues. And what it's talking about in Acts 2 is they're literally speaking the language of the people present. So modern day, I only know English okay? And so let's say that this was happening. I would be speaking and I could speak to you in Spanish. And so if you're you from, from like Latin America, you'd be like, I understand what he's saying. I don't understand how this is happening, right? And if you were like, maybe I could be speaking Italian or different things. Like it's literal. So in Acts 2, it's literal languages that exist in the world. But what he's referencing in 1 Corinthians here is more of like a, a heavenly dialect, so this isn't a language that people know. It's this, it's this heavenly dialect between your spirit and God's spirit. And it seems that the mind is disconnected, right? So it's something that, man, like, it's like, man, there's this connectivity that you're really not able to explain. You really don't know what you're saying, but you know it's good for your soul. And so that's the, that's the type of tongues we have here. Then there's another type where it's actually that, but it has an interpretation available which means that there's a way that someone could, could understand what you're saying in the spirit and then communicate that to others in a way that it would be uplifting to them, okay? Now, that is a gift that I personally do not have. I've prayed for it, never received it. It's, like, it's almost like God saying, you get to preach. Be satisfied with that. You don't get the cool thing, right? But I have friends that I love and trust that would say they have this gift, and it's so beautiful seeing them in worship because they will be present and you'll, you'll see that they'll, they'll start praying in their tongue, right, and, and, and they're not trying to get up front and center with it. They're not distracting to anyone around them. It's just this moment between them and God and that's all it is. I've seen other people where, they, where I've, I've, I've heard of worship services that my friends have been a part of where people try to project over the preacher in tongues. That's not what we see here at all, right? All to say, that's a little, um, something that I don't fully understand, but that's where I can leave it at. So when Paul's talking about tongues, in this particular case, he's talking about this, this heavenly dialect. Sometimes it's available to interpretation. Sometimes it's not. It's a way that your spirit connects to God's spirit. And that's what we know from scripture that we, can, that we can lean into and say, that's a gift that Paul longs for us to have, okay? Now, prophecy. Prophecy, we are not given a definition, okay? But we can do some, some investigation, and we can figure it out. So that's what we're gonna do now. We're gonna investigate together and find out what is meant by prophecy. So we don't know what prophecy is initially, but we do know what prophecy's outcome is. Look at the end of verse three. A prophecy, in the sense that Paul is using it in this chapter, results in three things. Upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Right. So what we know is that when a prophecy is given... In reference to to what Paul's talking about here, it's going to lead to people being built up, people being encouraged, and people being comforted, right? So now what we can see is we can start to unpack what prophecy is by looking at first what it's not, okay? Um, In chapter 13, towards the end, we saw that gifts are imperfect provisions for an imperfect world that are temporary, And when the perfect comes, those imperfect gifts will cease or stop. So if these are imperfect, so if prophecy is an imperfect gift, the first thing that we know that prophecy is not, it's not something that is equal or on par with Scripture, okay? So in the sense that Paul is using this idea of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14, it can never be on par or equal to the inspired word of God. Because this gift is fallible to human error. So we can mess this thing up is what what I'm saying, okay? So if someone gives a prophecy, they're not in a position to say, thus saith the Lord. Like that era does not exist anymore. We have everything that God has revealed to us through scripture as the word of God, and there's nothing that we can do to add to that. So no prophecy would ever be on par or equal to the word of God, all right? Another thing that we know, Right, is that one, it's, it's not equal to um, the word of God. It's not equal to scripture. A second thing is if the result is that it's upbuilding, encouraging, and comforting is that it can't be a harsh rebuke. So a prophecy that Paul's talking about will never be some harsh word that you give to someone else. Okay. I had a buddy in college that claimed to have this gift where he could look into your eyes and see your sin. And so everyone, like everyone that knew him, you're just like, don't make eye contact with Ryan. Like, just (laughs) keep on walking. And he would just look at a guy and be like, hey, bro, you need to stop looking at what you're looking at online. Like statistically, like eighty-five to ninety-eight percent of dudes struggle with something like that. So I'm like, you're just you're batting pretty good just from the statistics, right? Like, but that would not be a biblical prophecy. That that's that, that's something that would be harsh and, and would and not build someone up. So it's not this harsh rebuke. It's something that would build us up and encourage us and, and push us closer to Christ. So with that being said, let me let me speak into this. Um, the 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 word prophecy. Okay has this, this weight to it that would make us think of something into the future, okay? So um, one of my favorite professors calls this an impression. He's like, these are impressions. And, and so a camp that would say the spiritual gifts have ceased would say, I'm fine with the idea of impressions, All right? But I think the word prophecy is, is intentional and weighty because it does have this idea of something into the future, okay? So let me explain. Um, the world we live in, is filled with sin. It's filled with hurt, pain, heartbreak. We live in a broken world, okay? Can we just agree on that? The world we live in is broken, all right? So prophecy, in light of that broken world, okay, is meant to point beyond this world and to give us hope in the world to come. Ultimately, Prophecy is pointing us to the finished work of Christ on the cross, showing what that means for us today and assuring us of that truth's full realization in the age to come. In other words, a prophecy is simply this. It's an applied gospel truth to our present brokenness with a specific hope or a specific emphasis to our future hope. right, so if we're preaching or or passing on gospel truths that are personalized, that meet people in their present brokenness, but point them forward to the hope we have to come, what we are doing is we are prophesying over them in a New Testament way, okay? So when Paul's talking about prophecy, he's saying like, man, there is a gift that some people have to apply the gospel to present brokenness, to show people what's true of them today because of Christ's work, and then to help them look forward and to have full assurance of the hope to come. And that's, that's what prophecy is as I'm looking at this more and more in chapter 14, which is a good gift, a good thing for the church to step into, okay? Picking up in verse 6. If your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So he gives three examples here. He's like, look, these these things need to be understandable to the church. And he goes, like, think about it. Like if, if an instrument's melody is indistinguishable, if you can't pick out, like, what part it's playing in the band, it's really not something that you can enjoy or appreciate. He goes, think about a, a, a bugle being blown for battle. If a soldier can't distinguish what sound is coming from the horn, they're not going to know if that sound means to attack or if that sound means to retreat. He, he compares it to, it's like being in a foreign country and not knowing the language, I took three years of Spanish in high school, and I know very little. I'm like, ¿Cuántos años tienes? Like, ¿Qué hora es? Yo soy alto. Like, 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 my Spanish is not good, right? And so I've found myself multiple times in Latin America where someone's like, hey, Jeff, like a car's going to pick you up. They're going to bring you to this part of town. And I'm just like a big white dude being like, Are you the car supposed to pick me up? Like, I don't know. Like, just hop in the car and like, we're trying to converse and I'm trying to draw back on my seventh grade theater art skills of miming. Like, can we make some type of communication here? Are you the guy that's supposed to be taking me here or am I going to die? Like, right? And so in this situation, it's like, man, if we don't know each other's language, we're both foreigners. So he says, man, if, if you have a tongue and it's being, it's being brought to the front and center stage and no one knows what's being said, it's, it's, it's not good for either party. And so the, the main point he's driving home here in these verses is that man, like this gift is only beneficial if it's distinguishable, right? And then verse 12, he says, so with yourselves, Since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. He goes, man, if you wanna be a spiritual person, when you see spiritual gifts, whether they're what we look at and say, that's spectacular, or whether it's what we look at and see is behind the scenes, like wherever it is, he goes, the purpose of a gift is never to, to basically lift up yourself. It's always to lift up others. He goes, man, if you want to be a spiritual person, strive to use what God has given you in a way that others are lifted up, okay? Verse 13, he says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, But I was seeing with my mind also. In verses 13 and 15, he's saying, Look, if you have this gift, and it's important that we we restate this truth. Paul in chapter 12 stresses that no Christian has every gift, and no one gift is given to every Christian, right? And so now he's looking at a select few that would have this gift of speaking in tongues, which isn't everybody. That's not meant for everybody in the church to have. But he looks at people who do have it and he says, hey, if that's you, you need to pray that God would give you the ability to interpret it. Because if if you can't interpret it, you will know that it was good for your soul, but you'll never know why it was good for your soul. He says, like, man, I I want you to know why this is good for you. So pray that God would give you the ability to understand with your mind what he's doing with your spirit. This is really interesting. If you back up to verses 7 through 11, he gives three illustrations. Music tends to engage our emotions. The bugle was a call to action or our wills. And then language is essential to our intellect. In other words, these, these these illustrations look at the way we think, feel, and act. And so what he's saying here is God never intended our Christianity to just be a heart thing, but it's meant to be a, a full person thing. That it's meant to affect our hearts, our minds, our wills, and our emotions. So God is concerned about transforming all of us, not just Part of us. And Paul is is driving that home Man, pray. If you have that ability to speak, pray that God would help you connect what's going on in your heart to your mind. Okay. Verse 16, he says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words in my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Right? So contextually, there is a group of people in this church that are challenging Paul. So Paul started the church. He spent some time there getting it off the ground. Once it was established, he moved on to start another church. And some people that were back here still in this church basically said like, hey, we've surpassed Paul in our spirituality, so you should listen to us instead of him. And those are the type of people that got this church all messed up in the first place, right? And so they're saying, look, we have the gift of speaking in tongues, he doesn't. So we have achieved a higher status, we are more spiritual than him, we should be your spiritual leaders. And so Paul, in these verses, he goes, wait, 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 wait. If you're thinking I don't have this gift, I have it. In fact, I use it more than any of you guys, but I understand its purpose. And I would rather speak to you five words that you're gonna understand than 10,000 words that you're not gonna understand. He's driving home this point that the purpose of the gifts are meant for building up the body. And if they don't build up the church or God's people, then it's better just to hold them back. Is it good to have some things that are between you and God in a personal experience? Absolutely, right? Right? but we don't need to display those in a way that could ever make other people feel inferior. And so when we come together and use our gifts, they're meant for the whole group to be built up. Okay, look at verse 20. It says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. So when he says, do not be children, there's a difference between being childlike and being childish, right? Jesus wants us to be childlike, but he doesn't want us to be childish. So think about this. um, I I think about being a parent. It's not uncommon to try to do something productive only to have your kids come in and, and start bugging you. And I don't say, like, I'm not saying, like, I don't, like, I like my kids, but, like, when I'm trying to do something and they're like, give me milk, give me milk, give me milk, can I have a fruit stack, can I have a fruit stack, can I have a fruit stack? Hey, dad, can I have cookies, can I have cookies? Dad, can I have fruit stack? can I have milk, can I have milk and cookies and a fruit stack? I'm like, stop, I'm trying to watch my beloved Red Raiders beat Michigan State, like, just let me have my time here, (laughs) right? And so, whatever, whatever it is, like, every parent knows that, that kind of, like, you're trying to do something, your kids are coming in. So, let's say that a kid comes up, like, can I have fruit snacks? Can I have fruit snacks? Can I have fruit snacks? You're thinking, maybe they're hungry. Here are your fruit snacks. So you give them the fruit snacks. Now there is a need. You think that their bellies are hungry and that 80 calories worth of sugar will somehow satisfy their belly and that they will leave you alone to do your thing. And so, but let's say you give them the fruit snack and instead of going to the table, opening it up nicely and eating to themselves, they instead go to the living room. And they're like waving it in front of their siblings. Like, look what I got. <laughs> this is the mom. Kids start fruit stuff. Like, like just rubbing it in the other kid's face. What are they doing? Like if your kid starts flaunting what you gave them to their siblings, they're trying to make themselves look more important and make their siblings feel bad. Right? It's a way of posturing themselves. And so Paul's saying, look, if you use your gifts in a way that, that, that tries to make other people feel inferior while you look superior, because you're basically acting like a kid. You're acting childish. And he goes, what we need to know, this, this call to maturity, is he's saying at the end of the day, tongues, all right, don't have the ability to engage our mind and lead us to spiritual adulthood, but prophecy does. And our goal should be to grow in our faith. And if that's the goal, we should be leaning more into prophecy than to the tongues, all right, so he's not anti-tongues. He's just saying like prophecy is more beneficial for us to become spiritual adults. All right, now verses 21 through 25, I'm going to need your guys' full minds because it's going to get hard. And you might be thinking like, wait, this whole text has been hard, right? Um, verse 21, he says, in the law, it is written... Right, so what he's going to do here is he's going to quote Isaiah 28. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet um, that wrote to the nation of Israel. Right, so he's going to quote Isaiah 28:11. By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? So, what Paul's doing here in these last few verses is he's imagining what it would be like if there were two types of worship services. On one hand, you have a worship service that's all tongues, and on the other hand, you have a worship service that's all prophecy. And he's imagining this worship service where everyone's speaking in tongues. And, and so he quotes Isaiah 28. Now, the context of that is Israel could hear God's voice loud and clear. They knew what God was calling them to, but they chose not to listen. Right? So they heard God clearly, but they chose not to listen. Because they chose not to listen, God allowed the nation of Assyria to come in and to conquer them. Now, this is known as the Assyrian dispersion. So they go into Israel, they take those people and they disperse them to other nations and then bring their people in to inhabit the land. So all of Israel, all these people found themselves in new lands with new languages. And whenever they heard another nation's language being spoken, it would have sounded like Babel to them. And whenever they heard something they couldn't understand, it would have been a reminder of God's judgment on them, okay? And so what, what Paul's doing is he's saying, look, when we, when we speak in a way that someone from the outside can't understand, and we are indirectly giving them a sign of judgment. If they come in, they can't understand what we're saying, indirectly, we are actually leading them towards God's judgment. Because if they come in here and they need to hear clearly, about God's holiness and his perfection. They need to hear clearly about how we have fallen short of his glory and all of us have sinned against him and separated ourselves from him. If they need to hear clearly that if we don't have faith in Christ, that we will be eternally in the presence of God's judgment and wrath. And to to escape that, we need to put our faith in Christ and Christ alone. If they need to hear that, but all they hear is babble, they're never gonna know to turn to Jesus and to find their hope in him. He says, look, if we're speaking in tongues, we are going to judge those that need to hear clearly the message of the gospel, right? But then he turns in verse 24 to thinking about what if the service was all prophecy? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. He says, But if we prophesy, or if we speak into where people are presently experiencing brokenness, and we point people to the finished work of Christ on their behalf, all right? and, and we show them what that truth means for them today. And we, we lead them forward into finding assurance to, what, to the hope that we have in eternity. He says, if we will do that, people that need salvation, people that need Christ will find him. This isn't meant to be a guarantee. He's not saying this is like a, a formula we can follow, follow and it'll work. But he's saying like, this is what's necessary for people to repent and believe. So think about that. There is a good chance that there are people here today that you're going, I'm not a Christian and I have no idea what I'm doing here. And I can tell you with confidence from this text that you're here because God's after your heart. That you're here because you know that you are experiencing brokenness. And Jesus wants you to hear this morning that there is hope in him. That's good news for all of us good news. And so often we we long for the supernatural. We long for like, I just want to experience a miracle. I want to see someone healed. I want to have the ability to prophesy. I want that prayer language, God. We want the supernatural. And we miss out that the most supernatural thing that will ever happen in the life of a church is that people who were dead in their sin hopeless to ever bridge that gap between them and God are brought back to spiritual life because of Jesus and Jesus alone. That is the greatest miracle we can ever experience. And we can all take part in that. God is working the miraculous around us. That's good news. So we need to continue to preach the gospel so that people can find salvation. All right? so, so what do we do with this? Like, How, how do we apply this to our lives? Over and over, we see that there is this great longing in God's heart for his church to be built up. God wants his church to be built up. He wants his people to be known, to be loved, to be pushed towards Jesus, all right? And, and so often when we, when we think about the spiritual and the supernatural, we fall into two different errors. On one hand, sometimes we, we choose to ignore the supernatural, we're so going like, that's just weird and I don't know how to explain it. So let me just do the, the hands-on stuff. I'll feed the hungry. I'll, I'll, I'll work with the poor. I'll care for the widow and orphan. Like, let's leave out the supernatural. Let's just do the, the work that's explainable. And we ignore it. And then on the other hand, we have people that get so caught up into the supernatural that they begin to abuse it. And they start to, to take the Bible and make it to say things that it doesn't say. They start to make their word on par or even above the word of God, or they start to use their gift as a way to, to rebuke someone in a harsh way and they don't feel encouraged or comforted or built up. Like, and so some people abuse it. And so we gotta strike a balance, okay? And so how do we step into this in a balanced way? Okay, how do we step into this in a balanced way? Look at verse 12 one more time. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. You see, this is a command. It's it's not passive, it's active, which means that as the church, whenever we gather, right, whether that's on Sunday mornings, whether that's in a small group, whether you're getting coffee with someone or, or a hundred other things, whenever we gather We have a mission to speak life into people. We have a mission to to build up the church. So so let's say that I'm getting coffee with with Jim. Like I'm driving that way and I wanna start thinking like, hey, how how can I strive to build him up? Like how can I call out his giftedness? How can I point out how, how God is at work in his life? how can I show him how, how Jesus's love is good news for him today? I'm, I'm thinking through those things, okay? And so I think one of the best ways, or I believe one of the best ways for us as a church to begin to build each other up is to start living in and using this gift of prophecy, but to do so in a biblical way, okay? So so if we could begin to to prophesy in our gatherings, like I said, like here, small group, coffee, like begin to prophesy in that way, where we step into brokenness with the truths of the gospel, right? Showing people what what the work of Christ means for them today and then pointing them to the assurance of the hope we have in the future. If we can do that, we will begin to have a culture where the church feels like, I feel like I'm known here. Like I'm not just showing up on Sunday and, and passively attending and then slipping out the back door, but this is a place that I'm known. Like my small group isn't something I dread or or just one more thing on my count or something. I wanna step into that and be a part of it because it's it's lifting me up, okay? So so how do we do that? Look, I believe that this is something that we will probably grow in as a church. So I'm gonna give us just page one of what I hope is a much bigger story, okay? So page one looks like this. I'm gonna give you guys four things. It'll be quick. It's not like four points, 10 more minutes, but hang with me for two minutes, okay? Four things, and we'll wrap it up here. First is, is ask God to give you this gift. Not everyone's going to get it, but it seems like this is a gift that God's eager to give a lot of people. So ask God, like, God, if this is a gift that that's available to me and you want me to use it, would you give me this gift? Second is, is how do you start to use it? You're like, how do I know if I got the gift? Is it like, do I get a card in the mail? Like what in the world? Um, Second, here's, here's just a simple way to get started. Find yourself and just get quiet and say, God, is, is there someone you want to bring to my heart? Is there a name? Is there a face? Just bring it to my heart. And, and maybe for me, like, I get Chris Smith. And, like, all of a sudden, I feel like God's brought Chris on my heart. Like, okay. Um, then I want to step three. So first, ask for the gift. Step two, ask for a name or a face. Step three, like, God, is there a word that's rooted in your scripture, right? Because prophecy is never going to contradict scripture. It's gonna be a gospel truth that's rooted in God's word. So God, is there something from your word that you want me to personalize for Chris? God, if that's if there's something for him, would you lay that on my heart? And maybe God put something on my heart like um, that, that Chris is hidden with Christ. I'm thinking of like Colossians three, three. And I'm like, okay, like, so all of a sudden, step four is you got to step out and be active, step out and do it. So I I go to Chris, and here's the, I will never say, thus saith the Lord. I'm never like, God told me to tell you this because my gift is fallible. It's imperfect. But I say, I think, or I feel. So Chris, this might sound weird, but I feel like God's just leading me to tell you that your life is hidden in Christ, And so as you're striving to be the best dad, best husband, best friend that you can be, you might feel like you're falling short some days. You might feel like you're doing good other days, but just know like at the end of the day, when God looks at you, he sees Christ in Christ alone. That's good news. And I don't know why God wanted me to share that with you, but I really feel like that's something that he wants you to hear today. And all of a sudden, I have no idea what happened with Chris right there. Like, I don't know, but, but I can trust. Like, so let's say, people are like, well, how did you know it was Chris that was on your heart? What if you were thinking about him this morning because he texted you and that's why his like, what if it was a you thing? Or, or what if you like took Colossians three because you spoke about that on Wednesday and like, and you made this whole thing up. Like worst case scenario is I encouraged Chris with the gospel. Like worst case scenario, it's like he heard a gospel truth, right? Best case scenario is that really was that he, this really was something that God intentionally wanted him to hear in a personal way today. And he feels built up. And this is something that we can step into as a church. We can start doing this on an individual basis as we gather, and then maybe it goes beyond that, I don't know. But I know that our communion time takes seven to 10 minutes, and how beautiful would it be if during this gathered time, we would spend a few moments asking God to bring someone to our heart. That we would spend time asking God if there's a truth in scripture that needs to be personalized for them. And then walking over to him and saying, hey, I feel like God just wants me to share this with you. What would it be like if, if communion wasn't just a bunch of individual people doing their thing, but what if it was like us actually in a group communing with one another through that? That'd be beautiful. We'd be known. We would feel tangibly the love of Christ. And if we're getting encouraged by the gospel, we're gonna be pushed closer towards them. That's a church that I wanna be a part of. I have a, I have a suspicion that's the type of church you wanna be a part of too. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this amazing church that will hunker down and, and work through hard texts and, and engage their minds. God, we know that you want us to become spiritual adults in our faith. And, and God, if, if, if this prophecy is a way of stepping into that and, and, and encouraging us and growing us closer to you, God, help us to do it biblically, help us to do it well. And God, I ask that you would shift the culture of this church where we would really know each other in a much more intimate and personal way and that we would encourage each other like never before in such a way that when people who don't know you step into this place, they just fall down on their face and know that you're among us. That's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.